0: Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon.
1: Today's reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 8 verses 51 through 58. Jesus is speaking here. I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. The people said, Now we know you are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died. But you say, Anyone who obeys my teaching will never die? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, If I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my Father who will glorify me. You say, He is our God. But you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. But I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, You aren't even fifty years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Before his passing, our friend Jim Brendel compiled a history of St. John's United Methodist Church that dates up to 2008. It's got great information and outlines a wonderful history that concludes in essence with this congregation's move to this facility on the east side of Edwardsville. It was compiled in part for the confirmation class of 2008. But it's kept in multiple copies so that we can have access to this treasury of information that it provides anytime we like. And that's a gift, especially when we are about seven years away from this congregation's bicentennial, the 200th anniversary of the church. This will be a helpful history to have on hand as St. John's celebrates its past and looks forward to its future. It's also helpful to know whence we've come. I mentioned last week that the church experienced a major renovation of their 1853 building in 1884, and with that renovation came a new name. In an updated description of that shift offered by Marie T. Eberly, she notes that, and I'm going to quote here, much to the chagrin of many older members, the church was dedicated as St. John's Methodist Church, and the name Thompson's Chapel was dropped. Can you imagine that? People in a church chagrined? In the American Illustrated Methodist magazine, you read about how area resident James McKee spoke up about the name change at what was called at the time the Old Settlers Meeting. He said the marble tablet in the tower of that refurbished building now reads St. John's M.E. Church, but on the other side reads Thompson's Chapel. With his own emphasis, he added, if the present generation of Methodists in Edwardsville desire to honor themselves, they should turn the tablet over. Needless to say, he didn't really like the change. See, Reverend Samuel Thompson was a planting pastor. With area churches like Alton Main Street claiming him as a founding father, he served as presiding elder for many years in the conference, basically like a pastor of pastors, functioning a bit like what a district superintendent would today. He had been a general conference delegate, filled in for the great Peter Cartwright in a conference decision to create a seminary in Lebanon, Illinois, what's now known as McHenry University, and with an absent bishop one year, Thompson was elected the presiding official of annual conference in 1830. And based on all records, he was very well respected, and he had a great ministry. Reverend Thompson passed away about 40 years before the name change from Thompson's Chapel to St. John's Methodist Episcopal Church went into effect. Now, I dug and dug, and I could not find any controversy around Reverend Thompson, and thankfully, that's not a requirement. There was a very successful Methodist pastor in Edwardsville in 1883 named Benjamin Young who had to leave the ministry for engaging in an improper act of marrying a girl who wasn't a Methodist, a cancelable offense for Methodist pastors at the time. Maybe the change had to do with the Methodist church trying to stand out as a more unique denomination. It was around the founding of the church in 1827 that Methodists started printing their own curriculum in order to give some emphasis to the nuance of their own doctrines. So perhaps the change was specifically to draw attention to the Methodist Episcopal part of the name. Then again, maybe it was just time, and St. John's Methodist Church was as good a name as any. The church has spent 57 years with the name Thompson's Chapel and 136 years since with the name St. John's. I guess the Methodists in Edwardsville for a few generations didn't desire to honor themselves, as Mr. McKee said, and that's okay. We'll talk about St. John instead. So I shared last week about how St. John's gospel is different from the very start. He begins with a story of creation and Jesus' part in it, and he talks about his own personal encounter with Jesus. But then we start to see a theme developing that we don't see in other accounts of Jesus' life. Because his gospel was believed to be written later, John could provide a different perspective than what was provided in what we call the Synoptic Gospels, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They were still unique authors, possibly working somehow in collaboration, but writing to unique audiences. Their styles were similar in narrative. They would tell the story of Jesus. The readers or hearers would get the message, and they can experience a saving faith in Christ. Again, because John probably wrote later, he saw some of where people were misunderstanding or misusing the stories of Jesus. And so John's writing is a little bit more explicit in his theology. He was also fairly direct when it came to dealing with those who were not representing Jesus well. And today's passage is one example where we get to see that. And that leads to our first lesson, Jesus didn't give in to people who didn't get it. Jesus didn't give in to people who didn't get it. Jesus is teaching, saying, I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. And the people said, now we know you're possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died, but you say anyone who obeys my teaching will never die? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? During Lent, we spent time with Jesus' I Am statements, and we talked a bit back on March 15th about the context of where Jesus was during this exchange. That happened to be our very first weekend of online-only worship, and I can tell you two things with reasonable assurance. We won't be online-only forever, and if you've forgotten stuff from March of this year, you're probably not alone. So Jesus was at the festival of booths, or the festival of shelters, or the festival of weeks. It's basically a celebration of God delivering the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt, and in this specific festival, how God cared for the Hebrew people by leading them and providing for them as they journeyed those 40 years to the promised land. Jesus was already fairly despised by many religious authorities of his time, but he could also draw an adoring crowd nearly anywhere he went. That was going to happen when he showed up at this festival, and so Jesus went knowing full well he'd draw both a crowd and some ire. While speaking to the crowd, he proclaimed himself to be the light of the world. He was basically saying that if people followed him, that it would be like the liberated Hebrew children faithfully following the cloud of fire and smoke that led them through the wilderness and into the land of God's promise. And the critics came, and they spoke up. Basically saying, nuh-uh, no way, Jesus, you're a liar. Those are pretty big claims to be making about yourself. And Jesus was like, nah, you're right, my bad, guys, I'm sorry. Never mind. That's not what happened at all. See, the people who didn't understand Jesus did not get to define who Jesus was. And Jesus didn't let them. Why? Because if Jesus was serious about who he is and what he came to do, it was important for people to hear the truth about it and what is at stake. Jesus describes here how it's the difference between languishing in the wilderness and arriving at the destination of God's promise. It's the difference between connecting with the source of life that is true, abundant, and eternal, and being disconnected from the source of life itself. John emphasizes Jesus' clear line between light and darkness and between life and death. Getting Jesus wrong comes with a big cost, and darkness or death were not outcomes that Jesus or John desired for people. There was too much at stake to let detractors define him. He didn't condemn them in correcting them, but he also didn't give in to the people who just didn't get it, at least to our second lesson. Jesus didn't have to seek glory to be glorified. Jesus didn't have to seek glory to be glorified. Jesus answered, if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my Father who will glorify me. You say, he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. But I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad I love hearing stories about people who are in the public eye who don't act like typical celebrities with snobbish behavior they don't pull the do you know who i am business they do their work well they share credit and they're generous with the people that they encounter even though a lot of his movies are remarkably violent and his roles over the top keanu reeves has one of those reputations and it may not even be a reputation that's been carefully curated by a publicist we may, not, we may find out something very different about his life later on down the road, which is something that I kind of hold out the possibility for, for every human being, basically. But every once in a while, we hear about somebody who gets to where they're going by doing right things, and their star gets to rise without too much self-aggrandizement. In the church world, I started to notice a big push in recent years for people in ministry to expand their platforms. There was almost even a bit of pressure. You need to blog. You should start a podcast, write a book, line up some conference speaking gigs, hustle and grow an audience. And I think I was probably too tired to try to do all those things. But I also thought, you know, if Jesus wants to expand his platform through my ministry, through anything I get to do, he can do it. But platform expansion seemed more like a byproduct of service, not a goal. I think the Pharisees squaring off here saw Jesus... As a hustler, they thought he was platform building instead of and boasting with self promotion. They were upset because he was starting to draw away from their audience and their influence. So no matter what they really thought was going on with Jesus, they presented him as a phony, a liar, and a charlatan. Jesus is clear in explaining who he is here. He didn't say, "I might kind of be a dim light in the world, you know, a guy." I mean, don't you think I am a little bit? He declared himself to be the light of the world. He declared that his instructions lead to eternal life, which, frankly, I understand to just be honest on his part. As Muhammad Ali once said, it's not bragging if you can back it up. And John's telling of Jesus' life to this point is case after case of Jesus giving the receipts, the authoritative teaching, the miracles, the mercy. People were flocking to him not because of what Jesus said about himself. They came to him because he evidenced the power of God's presence in their midst. Jesus didn't need to self-promote. He lived out a perfect love among the hurting people alongside people in need. And because he was so perfectly aligned with his heavenly father, those people were to able to experience healing, restoration, reconciliation, and get a brand new start because they had been with Jesus. Our faith gets to add to that chorus, drawing attention not to ourselves but to Jesus. And our healed, restored, reconciled, brand-new-start lives can let people know that Jesus has the power to do that for others, too. That's a powerful invitation all by itself, and it's still Jesus who gets the glory. Our third lesson this morning is this. St. John's faith makes a clear connection between the life of Jesus and the heart of God. St. John's faith makes a clear connection between the heart of Jesus between the life of Jesus and the heart of God. The people said, You aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. The Pharisees didn't just exist as straw men in Scripture. The specific religious sect weren't just characters devised for the purpose of having foils in debates with Jesus. They weren't around just to have the Sanhedrin court put Jesus through a trial so that it would lead to his crucifixion. Jesus did dominate their agenda for a few years or so, but the Pharisees were actually a very important part in upholding the identity of the Hebrew people through their religious life during a time of Roman occupation. They took that role very seriously, and if they didn't hold the line, they thought, then that was just one more way that God's chosen people would have been conquered and humiliated. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees agreed foundationally with Jesus on a lot of theology when it came to things like their belief in the final resurrection. But what they got wrong was really important. They imagined themselves and their proximity to political power to be the hope of Israel. They weren't. It wasn't. They called Jesus everything but a child of God, and yet he was God's only begotten son. But missing that central truth about the son, they were basically showing that they didn't really know the one they claimed as their father. Not really. The words, I'm so proud of you, are such a gift coming from parents or the people who have stood in that role for us. I've seen some families where those words are withheld as leverage of a weapon of manipulation, and it's incredibly sad. I've had a chance to hear those words spoken over me on special occasions and on ordinary times. It's a blessing and I hope others have experienced that. It seems like those words basically communicate that the best hopes that you have for another have borne fruit. The outcome of that hope has been seen. Maybe it's an act of service or a milestone event of a budding talent. Maybe it's a responsibility that was well handled. When love has looked like a lived-out example, when it's shown by life lessons or ongoing encouragement or hope poured into another person's life, that sense of pride is simply that love shining through. It's not the kind of pride that comes before the fall, though. It's the joy that comes from the aligning of hearts. The best dreams of a family or friendship shine through. Maybe you felt that. I sure hope so. When we want to know the heart of God lived out purely, when we desire to know what it means for the hopes of God to be on display, we get to see that shine through in Jesus. It's perfect alignment, not just for a moment, but for eternity. And Jesus here declares to those who would doubt him, I am not a man bent to your will, and I am not a God made after your image. I am the God in whose image you have been made. The wisest of your ancestors followed me to the land that I showed them, and I accompanied them through fire and smoke to the promised land. I was glimpsed in the ram caught in the thorns when a substitute sacrifice was required. I was predicted in the promise of a nation who would outnumber the stars in the sky. When those who claimed to follow saw a hint of my presence, they ran to welcome me and bowed low to the ground. If you knew who you mock, but you do not, I'm not your puppet. I am who I am, and I will be who I will be. After this, We read how Jesus' detractors picked up stones to throw at him because he identified personally with Yahweh, the holy God of Israel, and in their eyes that was blasphemy. But then he somehow disappeared and left. They had to be frustrated. The Pharisees were chagrined, especially when the next thing Jesus does in John's gospel is restore sight to a blind person on the Sabbath and more than hint that it's the Pharisees who really can't see. And when we look at Jesus, we see the heart of God. If we don't see that in Jesus, we get to keep looking. We might want to define Jesus into something more palatable for our sensibilities or dismiss him as something less honorable, but in the end, it's not the people who misunderstand Jesus who will get the final word. Jesus is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, who died and, behold, is alive forevermore. He will be honored and praised without end. And we're invited to be a part of that. After all, St. John's, it's our namesake. Would you pray with me? Loving God, we thank you for the clarity that Jesus offered us in who he is, in declaring himself, I am. We get to know how it is that we approach Christ, our Lord. We come with praise, we come with gratitude, we come with worship, we come with love, because you have poured out such rich love on us first. Lord, help us to seek your heart in the one known as Jesus of Nazareth, to be able to understand your intention and your hopes for this world as we continue to dig into the depths of Christ's teaching, his actions his life, his words. And Lord, because we spend that time with Jesus, because we are searching your heart through Christ, may our lives be transformed so that we better reflect that divine image that you have planted in us. Let the faith of those who have come before inspire us. And God, we pray that it would all be for your glory. You are deserving, God. This we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.